it was amazing the atmosphere on set was really electric that day i came on set and i'd been shooting for a little while before before hayden started and i couldn't believe how many people were there i was looking around going so many people on set today i couldn't figure out what was going on and then uh, the penny clicked when you walked out in the suit i was like oh yeah everyone's here to see hayden and as Vader, you know. Yeah, it's like, well, you're like, well, what about me? It's all, it's all about him. <laughs> yeah, they were so used to me by that point, and they were totally over me. <laughs> it was said on episode three of Obi Wan Kenobi that actions speak louder than words, but all we have are words here on the Dagobah Dispatch podcast. Welcome to the show, and what a show we have for you this week. We are going to deep dive into the big battle between Obi and Annie on the latest episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which happened much sooner than I expected, by the way. Plus, a big name is dropped for a big character that may be on the horizon. Oh, and BT Dubs, we will also be joined by the cast and director of the show. That's right, Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Moses Ingram, Rupert Friend, and Deborah Chow will all be here, and we will also get the full report from Star Wars Celebration. It's all happening right here, right now, on Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross, joined by Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan as we, we hitched a ride with our good friend Freck to the recording studio today. Devin, I'll give you all the credit in the world. You were a little dubious about Freck when you saw that Imperial banner on the back of his transport and uh, and you knew what was up. Yeah, you know, as as far as like Uber drivers go, he's, you know, he he wouldn't be my my number one choice. I think the the betrayal is, you know, the le- less than five stars, we'll say. So look, we're, we're going to get into the episode, but a few notes before we do. This will be an all-spoiler chat uh, as we talk about the episode. You know, I mean, no one big died and there's no giant cameos or anything. But, you know, if you don't want to know what happened, if you haven't watched it yet, you might want to skip ahead to our interview with the cast of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, also, just want to mention, hey, we're, we're doing these occasional Twitter spaces and we're actually going to do one uh, this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you're listening to this before then, you can catch that. But always just follow all three of us on Twitter or Instagram, anywhere else, and you'll know when we're doing these bonus chats on social media that you can uh, check out. Once again, just want to mention that Devin spoke to the cast of the show out at Star Wars Celebration. We're going to play you that entire interview. And then Devin's also going to give us her report on the coolest thing she saw out there at the convention. So that's all to come. But first... Let's get into what happened in episode three, because there was a lot happening. And the three of us really have not been like texting or slacking or talking about it. So I don't really know your takes, although I read Lauren's uh, article on everything that happened. Uh, Obviously, the big thing to get to first was the Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi battle. And if you listened to the podcast last week, you heard me say, oh, these two probably aren't going to like face off until episode six. This is not just just settle down. This isn't going to happen. And then instead, here we get, Lauren, a, a giant battle in episode three. Uh, were you surprised after I led you astray last week? Uh, no. As soon as I saw that this morning, I was like, well, Dalton was wrong about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know how surprised I was that like I thought if they're going to bring Hayden Christensen back, you should use him. So I assumed he was going to be in the episode somewhat, but I didn't realize that they would be crossing lightsabers uh, as soon as 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 the third episode, though. uh, Obi-Wan really did try to avoid that lightsaber fight as much as he could because he just literally fleed like as soon as he saw Darth, he's just like took off. And I was like, 
It's not the Obi Wan I quite Wait, remember. Like, like multiple but, times you know. he ran away. There was like multiple stations. <laughs> like he literally just saw him and he was like, "I'm gonna go this way." And it just was like, Yoink. I didn't really think it was a really interesting like the fight. It's definitely not up to their uh, battle on Mustafar. Uh, and you, but I thought it was really interesting because you see exactly what kind of mind space Obi Wan is in, and he is not in Jedi Knight shape this is not the guy who was in the clone wars you know fighting alongside all those clone troopers he, he was kind of a shadow of himself almost Devin, what was your sort of big picture take on the battle I was also surprised that, that we got a, a lightsaber battle this early in the story. And I, I was like, kind of like giddy. I was like, oh my God, it's Darth Vader. He's back. He's on my screen. <laughs> you know, um, I love the way the fight was choreographed and that it is kind of one, one of my, my, my biggest questions, you know, sort of with this sort of arc of Star Wars is you've got that great Mustafar battle with like flips and spins and crazy stuff. And then you've got the A New Hope battle where it's kind of just two guys standing there hitting lightsabers at each other. And I feel like this sort of gives a narrative example of like how those fighting styles have evolved. You know, this isn't the Obi-Wan who was top of his game, young Jedi doing backflips like little tiny Yoda. You know, this is he, he's an older guy. He's out of practice. He's out of touch with the force. And he doesn't want to fight Anakin. One of the things that I really admired about Ewan's performance here is you get how just how terrified he is. I thought he was going to give some sort of quip, you know, because he's a very quippy guy, but like you you just see the terror in his eyes. And I thought Ewan's performance in this was was really incredible. Yeah. It, I, I asked both of them, Hayden and Ewan, specifically about what you mentioned, Devin, about like, well, I don't, you know, how do you like get from what we saw in, you know, episodes one, two, and three to like episode four. There's not a lot of movement going on in that New Hope right. battle. And they kind of dodged the question, but yeah, you did sort of see, I mean, look, Obi-Wan looks weak. He looks straight up weak and outside of kind of like saving Leia when she was falling in Dayu, like putting his hand out and saving her from falling, which by the way, looked like it was not easy for him to do. Like he was sweating. There were beads of sweat just to do that. That's pretty much other than taking out those stormtroopers at the checkpoint. That's pretty much the only sort of Jedi activity We've seen from him, and we know he cut himself off from the force for a while there. But man, he's like, is it is it just that he has not been training because he buried his lightsabers in the sand, or is it that he this this battle with with Vader, he's just so mentally distraught about having to go over and do this all over again? Remember. He didn't want to go to Mustafar. He didn't even want to take him on the first time. Now he he thinks he has to do it again. But man, he just, Vader definitely got the better of him. And Vader, super badass. And when I talked to Hayden Christensen, and you can listen to that interview on last week's podcast, he mentioned Rogue One. Like he brought, and that scene where he's walking through the town, just like choking and dragging people, that basically felt like this series was like version of that Rogue One scene, right? Like that's the that's the same thing that's happening. People are like screaming. They're being thrown up against walls. He's like dragging people on the ground. That was super badass, Lauren. It really was. And it was like, he is, I am going to take no prisoner. I mean, and this is like definitely before Rogue One. So he's not quite even at his Rogue One power level yet. If you think about it, like Obi-Wan just found out that Anakin was alive, like basically the night before. I don't know how long that that transport between Dayu and uh, Mapuzo was. And now he has to face him. You know, Obi-Wan was not prepared, but it seems like Anakin was thinking, or I mean, I, I guess I should call him Darth Vader. 
you know, even Anakin thinks himself is dead. But, uh, you know, he was preparing for this for a long time. And it seemed like he knew exactly what he was planning to do to Obi-Wan versus Obi-Wan just being completely off his game. So Vader is just like basically toying with Obi-Wan at one point, right? He could have choked him out. Mm -hmm. Then he could have burned him to death. It's almost like a James Bond villain. Like, well, let me tell you my plan before I kill you. <laughs> you know, like, and then Vader, I went back and watched it like four times. I'm like, wait a minute. How did Obi-Wan get out of the fire? And Vader pushes him out of the fire and says yeah. something to the effect of, I don't know the exact line, but your pain has just begun. So he clearly yeah. wants to draw it out. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems like it, he even like kind of extinguished the fire with the force, which I did not know was a force <laughs> ability. So that's a new one for me. And I was just like, yeah, he's like just really toying with him at this point. That was like kind of brutal when he was dragging him through the fire. But I was like, oh, he's really pissed that Obi-Wan just let him catch on fire on Mustafar. Not even the legs and the the hands like those going, but <laughs> the whole just leaving him to burn. Lauren, to death he warned really him pissed. he had the high ground. I mean, <laughs> I know. But you would think, you know, at least, you know, Obi-Wan would have dragged him out of the flake of fire. But I think it's also like interesting because not only are they meeting for the first time, but Obi-Wan knows that he has Anakin's daughter with him. So it's like, not only does he have to like try and survive for himself, but he has to prevent Leia from falling into his clutches, which didn't work. Devin, do you think that we're getting another lightsaber battle between these two? I feel like this can't be it. I, I agree. This is, this, this ended, you know, it, th there needs to be some sort of there's not going to be a resolution because we know how this ends. We know that's the oldest story in the book of how, you know, Obi-Wan meets his end. But there's got to be some sort of other resolution there. This was not the last time we have seen these two together. Because, you do, again, you don't cast Hayden Christensen and bring him back for one episode. How did you guys feel about hearing James Earl Jones again? That was a pleasant surprise. I was glad because they were being really Super cagey about cagey. who it was. Yeah. Yeah, they were being really cagey about who it was. And... It was interesting, though, because like his voice, I wondered if they had done some of the audio work that they had done to in Luke's voice, because I remember hearing him in Rogue One and being like, this sounds like a much older Darth Vader. But here he sounded like crisp and like clean. So I was just curious about that. It also had more personality and emotion than that super robotic sounding Mark Hamill. I mean, I guess robotic's not the right word, but yeah. like it was emotionless. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not even really like that wasn't even really Mark Hamill's voice, but it did sound like they had done something here to kind of de-age his voice. The weird thing bit. is, so I asked them about this one back in March or whatever, when I was doing the cover story or, and, um, and they, they wouldn't answer it. And then I asked hmm. Deborah Chow, the director about it, what, like the day before it premiered? And she still wouldn't answer it. But you figure that like in February, maybe they didn't have it locked down, right? A voice you can put in late. Maybe they're still trying to figure it out. Are we getting James Earl Jones or not? Are we going to do a sound alike? What are we going to do? But by the day before they knew, and yet they still wouldn't say, which just led me to think, oh, it's not going to be him. It's going to be something else. And, and, and then when I spoke to Hayden Christensen, again, you can hear it on last week's episode. I said, what do you, what do you, what sound do you make? Like when you're when you're speaking your dialogue that they're going to replace later, are you trying to sound like James Earl Jones? He goes, no, I, I try and sound like 
the way Anakin would sound with like being injured and tortured. So I think he does a completely different voice. I was like, maybe they'll use that. Like maybe his like voice box doesn't. I would love to hear that voice. Yeah. Like I would love to hear what like that it is before it turns into James Earl Jones. Cause I think that's probably a very interesting aspect of the performance. Well, there was that interesting moment in this episode where, where Obi-Wan sort of has a hallucination of, of Anakin. Oh, yeah. Where of, of sort of what Anakin would look like if he was, um, had not been injured and not turned into Darth Vader. And it's just a glimpse. But, you know, we see Hayden Christensen's, you know, and he's got the yellow eyes and, and the long hair. I would not be surprised if we see some sort of, whether it's like a force meeting or like a hallucination or something, I would not be surprised if we see some sort of conversation between those two where Hayden looks like Anakin, whether it's something in Obi-Wan's mind or it's a hallucination like that. But I feel like that was intentional, sort of laying that groundwork. Because, you know, I mean, for Obi-Wan to look at his old friend, I mean, that must be crazy to see him in this this crazy, you know, helmet and get up. But but he looks at him and, and does he see the the little Padawan he he used to know? So I I would be very curious to see whether they they take that road going forward. And he's already hearing voices. We hear him hear lots of voices. Although I keep waiting for Qui Gon to show up. Right? Like he keep, we keep meeting. It's like when is that happening? Since Liam Neeson has actually reprised his role in like the Clone Wars, I feel like he's going to like show up at one point because I feel like. The reason why he can't connect to Qui-Gon right now is because he's so shut off from the Force. And especially I feel like he's going to have to like have that moment that Rey had in Force Awakens when she connects to the Force in the forest before she kicks Kylo's ass. That's what I'm sort of expecting that Obi-Wan is going to like fully reconnect to the Force. And maybe that's when Qui-Gon shows up. Prediction time. Do we see Qui-Gon or just hear Qui-Gon? I think we'll see him. You think we'll see him? At least that's what I think. But maybe. You you calling out Force Ghost right here? I am calling out a Force Ghost. Devin, what do you think? I think they've just been so. This is the second time he has like explicitly been like, Qui Gon, help me. Where are you? That's Chekhov's Force Ghost right there. I don't think they would be foreshadowing it as much as they are. Not even foreshadowing, just like explicitly being like, Qui Gon, where are you? I need you. If they're not going to pay that off, we'll see. I don't know. They may surprise us. Let's talk about another Jedi that made a sort of debut of sorts here when he's going, uh, when Obi-Wan's been led into the path by Tala, he sees a message from Quinlan Voss. And we'll let Lauren give us the full lowdown. Quinlan was a Jedi who had some sexy time with the Saj Ventress. <laughs> he, he tried to kill Dooku, instead said, oh, let me join Dooku. Then he went back to the good guys. He's a, a very interesting character, kind of played back and forth on, you know, sometimes dark side, sometimes light side. But as soon as Obi-Wan was uh, in that sort of safe room and he saw Quinlan was here and I was like, well, there aren't that many Jedi ma- named Quinlan, you know, so I was just sort of like, oh, so I guess he's another Jedi that survived. Or I don't know if he's been killed since he left the message, but that was kind of a nice shout out because I don't really think that, uh, you know, on our list of Jedis that have survived Kanan and Ahsoka and Yoda, now we can add Quinlan that he managed to survive Order 66 as well. And I'm guessing that's going to be O'Shea Jackson. That's my prediction right now. We know O'Shea Jackson's on the show. We don't know who he's playing. So my guess is we're going to see uh, see him as as Quinlan, which I guess technically, I think he's like in a scene, like sitting down in the Phantom Menace in Tatooine. So I guess it wouldn't be his live. It's kind of like Chopper, I guess. Isn't Chopper's live action was in like Rogue One. He's in like the background shots. He rolled through a scene. So technically he's he's been on camera before. 
Let's talk about the other sort of new characters. Actually, we did see not just a name on a wall, but actual people. And uh, we mentioned Freck. Freck was an alien sort of mole man type situation voiced by Zach Braff. I kind of found this character interesting because it's like an imperial, I don't know if you call it sympathizer, uh, you know, ally, comrade, whatever terminology you want to use. Who's not like some sneering, super evil person with a British? It just seems like, hey, yeah, hop in the back. It's all good. Let's do this. And then, but yet, still is loyal to the Empire. I got to say, my my favorite thing about you know all of the Star Wars shows is every week there's an, an absolutely insane cameo. Episodes one and two, it was like, oh, Flea is in this. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> Book of Boba Fett. It was like, oh, here's Danny Trejo as the yeah. Rancor Keeper, <laughs> or Stephen Root showed up. You know, yeah, or. Matt Barry. Yeah. Yeah. That was the funny thing with uh, my husband didn't watch the first two episodes until Sunday. And I was just kind of watching along him. And I just heard him quietly when it, the kidnapper was revealed. He just goes, flee. And I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> he just Flea. was quietly. He was just like, what's he doing here? There was something delightful about seeing Flea's names in the credits in that iconic blue font on the star background. And it just says, Flea. Like something about that delighted me. And Flea was in the Big Lebowski. He's shown hey, up back, in other like, the future franchise. He was he was a baby yeah, driver. Like he has shown up in other things, but you know, I, I it it was a little bit like when they revealed him, I was like, huh. Wouldn't have thought of that one, but yeah, for Freck it was the same thing. I was like, okay, this this voice cami, this has to be somebody I know. And then but I didn't I didn't clock that it was Zach Braff until the credits. And I was like, huh. Scrub star uh, and Garden State director Zach Braff. Good for you. <laughs> Welcome to the Star Wars universe. Oh, we we heard female stormtroopers, which yes. I think was... Oh, yeah, um, I noticed that too. Uh, was something that we hadn't really heard in this sort of era before of Star Wars, um, which was something that was interesting. You can sort of see the shift from... Uh, you know, using clones to to having these stormtroopers. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, in the original trilogy, the stormtroopers and specifically the Imperial officers are all very intentionally portrayed as stiff upper lip white British men with very strong British accents. And so it's interesting to see some of these characters who are women. We see aliens. We see, you know, different kinds of people aligning with the Empire. And that's sort of an interesting thing that we haven't really seen we got that in, in the in the sequel trilogy, but not so much in um, things that are set around around this time. And what do you guys make of the flip side? Because we had Indira Varma, who you know we all we saw her in the trailer, looking very stern and very imperial, like right walking walking off into the sand. And then about four seconds into the her debut, we realized that she's actually a double agent working uh, with Kamal Nanjani. What do you guys make of her character, Tala? I'm a big fan of Indira Varma. Um, I've interviewed her a couple times for um, Game of Thrones. I love the idea that that she and Pedro Pascal are are both now part of the Star Wars universe. I liked the idea of the smuggling ring of of people who are you know working um, to protect Force sensitive people and, and Jedi. And I'm curious, like you know, how did this get started? How did she and Kumail get this going? Like it, I was surprised by how many names were carved into the walls. Um, you know, how many people have have gone through there. I'm curious to see where that goes. Do you remember at Entertainment Weekly, we used to do set breakdowns. We'd do a big spread in the magazine and we'd call out and like little things in the set. Like I would love to have seen that set with all the etchings on the walls and just like yeah. little Easter eggs, I'm sure all over the place that we just didn't pick up on. Yeah, I'm. I my Arabesh is is not what it what it should be. I I, I can't can't quite translate it just by sight. 
I think I did notice the Republic symbol, like Leia went to look at it and it looked like it was the Republic symbol or the symbol of the rebellion right. carved into it. I got one other thing I want to touch on before we get to our interview with the cast. Generally, what do you all think of the episode? I thought it was a, a really strong episode. I thought the, the action was great. I mean, I thought we got a lot more than I was expecting to get. Like I said, I, I thought we'd get Vader. I didn't think we'd get Vader and Obi-Wan in the same location, much less fighting this early. So I was I was pretty pleased. What about you, Devin? I felt similarly. I, going into this, thought, okay, the Vader, Obi-Wan, they're going to sort of dance around each other for the whole the whole season, and that's going to be the finale. And so the fact that we've gotten in this early is very intriguing to me, and it raises a lot of questions about what the next three episodes are going to look like, because we're halfway through after three Isn't episodes. That weird? So it's crazy nah. since we got a, a two of them last week. So I'm very, very curious to see sort of how things shake out. Again, there's there's characters we haven't met yet. We haven't met O'Shea Jackson Jr. Um, where I thought things were going, it's not going. So now I'm like, okay, where is it going? <laughs> what about you, Lauren? Outside of the Darth Vader stuff, I really am enjoying the interaction between Obi-Wan and Leia, or baby Leia, as I like to call her. What I find really moving is how much she's yearning for her to know anything about her birth parents, like how much she's yearning to know about Padme or to know about Anakin. Like when she asked him, are you my real father? And he was just like, no, I, I mean, I wish you were. And you never really think about that as she gets older. And later in the book, she really does identify as an Organa and as a, a person from Alderaan. But at this like kind of tender moment, you really see how much she's just sort of yearning to know anything about her birth parents. And I find that really moving. And I think she and Ewan McGregor have like just this wonderful chemistry between the two of them. The other thing uh, that I found really curious is the whole thing with the grand Okay, this is what I want to get to. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Lauren is trying to find an out. She's trying to find an excuse. Let me set the table for up. what's going yeah. on. So we watched the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi last week. And uh, near the very end of the episode, all of a sudden, Reva puts a lightsaber right into the chest of the Grand Inquisitor, which I'm like, uh, say what? Because <laughs> the Grand Inquisitor is around roughly four years later in Star Wars Rebels, plays a huge role in season one of Star Wars Rebels. And I even spoke to... Rupert Friend, and you can hear it on last week's podcast. I'm like, dude, we know you're making out of here alive because you're you're in the show in four years. He's like, yep. And so then they they seemingly kill him. Lauren last week's like, maybe his like organs are in different places and he's not dead. But they're they're <laughs> talking about him like he's really dead. But they they never technically said he was Correct. dead. They just kind of cut him off. So it's like, does he have a twin brother that's played by Jason Isaacs? Like, you know, is this just a title and not a name? Yeah, so, like so Lauren texts me this morning. She says, maybe it, it seems to be a title and not a name because Reva's talking to Vader and, you know, she wants to be the next Grand Inquisitor. So it's just a name. Fine. But the thing is, go back last week and listen to my interview with Rupert Friend. He talks about his character's backstory and he uses all the same identifiers as the rebels grand inquisitors like oh well you know he was a jedi and he in the jedi temple and you know like training people and like it's the same backstory so unfortunately devin's conversation with the cast and deborah chow took place mere hours before she watched this episode <laughs> so we haven't been able to get an official answer on this but lauren i mean are they messing with the timeline did, did this week's episode change what you think at all 
The only thing I could think of is that a lot of times in Star Wars Rebels, he wasn't called the Grand Inquisitor. He was called the Inquisitor. And so I'm thinking <laughs> that like, maybe there was another, like, are they called Paulins? The alien race from Utapau where he's from. And I'm just like, is there another one who's force sensitive? And like, is Jason Isaacs going to show up in the finale? Like, there's like so many things where I'm like, it's such a huge, like, if this was the person from Star Wars Rebels, this is a kind and he's dead. That is a huge violation of canon. And when they were talking about that, you know, you'll become the Grand Inquisitor. I'm like, okay, it's a title. Maybe there's another person from Utapau. But the fact is, they didn't say he was dead. So he could very well just be in a back to tank right now. I don't know. It is. It's kind of a crazy. It was kind of a crazy decision either way. Yeah. See, I think you know if Maul can get chopped in half and stitched yeah, back together, you know, we we know in in this universe that a lightsaber to the chest is not always the death sentence that it appears to be. That is true. That is true. But it's bizarre, and I'm curious to see where it goes. I know. I need answers. I don't like it. I need. I need to get answers. So um. Uh, we we uh, we got to get to the bottom of that. But yeah, we're halfway home. We got three episodes left. Cannot wait to see what happens moving forward. All right, we have Devin's interview with the cast of Obi Wan Kenobi. You and McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Moses Ingram, Rupert Friend, and director Deborah Chow, and we'll play that for you right after this quick break. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with me. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Obi-Wan. Um, you and I'd love to start with you. You know, this is a version of Obi-Wan that, um, you know, this is set, you know, several years after Revenge of the Sith. What makes this version of Obi-Wan different from the man that we may have seen in the past? Well, he's more of a, he's a more broken character than we've ever seen him before. We see at the end of Revenge of the Sith that everything that he's known and worked for and worked towards is destroyed. The the his Jedi order that he loves and believes in is is torn apart. All his friends are either killed or gone into hiding. So he's very, very much um, alone and lost. And also he's carrying this amazing guilt because he feels that, that he lost his brother to the dark side and that he should have been able to see that that was going to happen and stop that from happening. So he, he's not only grieving, he's also feeling responsible for losing his brother. So it's a much darker more broken place than we've ever seen the character before, either with me or Alec Guinness. And Hayden, you've played a little bit of Vader, but not quite to this extent before. What was it like to sort of throw yourself into playing, you know, kind of full Vader? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly what was uh, so exciting about this opportunity. Um, obviously, when we did the prequels, my work was as Anakin, and I got to, you know, get my feet wet a little bit as Darth Vader, but uh, getting to come back and... Um, put a little bit more of my, my fingerprint on, on the character at this point in the timeline was just uh, an incredible opportunity. Yeah. And Deborah, I know you've talked about how one of the things that first drew you to the show was that that relationship, that friendship between um, Obi-Wan and Anakin. What was it about the idea of exploring that relationship that really, really excited you? Um, I think, you know, there were a few things like getting to do a limited series and having more time to really get into character was really exciting about the show. And then I think also the idea of getting to take these very huge iconic characters, but to tell a story about them at a different point in their lives. Absolutely. And Moses, what about you? What was it that most excited you about about joining this this galaxy? Oh, definitely the writing. I think the first time I was really able to read it, it just felt like Pantheon acting a lot of the moments. And that was really exciting for me. And then to join it with, you know, these people, veterans, you know, it was a really, really dope experience. 
And what about you, Rupert? What was it that most excited you about about joining this story? Um, I was aware of the character, but I knew that the Grand Inquisitor had never been portrayed in the live action world. So working with Deb to bring him to life in that space was just thrilling. It felt like uh, a birth of some kind. I know you talked on stage about getting to brush up on your lightsaber skills. How, right. how was it to throw yourself into that? Well, it's amazing because, you know, I might have this twin-ended thing and it was utterly beautiful. It was, you know, handmade by the, the team and it was a very kind of um, quite a moving moment to be handed a lightsaber and certainly was for me. What about you, Moses? What was it? What was most exciting about throwing yourself into like lightsaber training? Um, it was just really nice because I think particularly with Jedi schools, like I didn't know what I would be doing every day. I mean, I knew I would be like sweating and like doing all the things, but like, I mean, like we ran across walls. I was hanging in <laughs> wires. It was just like playing real hard at the playground, you know, it's cool. Did you guys get any advice from your, you know, expert, your Jedi expert co-stars on, on lightsaber training? We all got great advice from our fight coordinator, yeah. Jojo, who who took the fights that we did in the prequels and redesigned them forward in time. It, it was very thoughtful, his work, and, and he and his team were just brilliant to work out with, you know. That, that was important in these things. The, the, the action sequences require a lot of stamina and fitness, so that was part of the lead up to this, was some months spent um, working out with those guys and working out on our with our trainers and getting getting to a sort of fitness level so that we could get the work done really during the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you guys have talked about how, you know, there's a very acrobatic quality to it that that's required in like you studying different types of, you know, like martial arts and, and sort of different styles. Yeah. Like elements of like parkour and um, really just getting down and dirty. They, <laughs> JoJo says train hard, fight easy, you know, like if you run 40 feet one time, I mean, you got to turn around, and get that 40 feet from like different angles and different lenses. And so after about the 10th time, you're really grateful you've built up that stamina. That makes sense. Absolutely. And you and Hayden, what was, what do you guys remember about your first day on set together? What stuck out to you guys the most? Just seeing him again as Obi-Wan, I mean, uh, it was just such a, a thrilling sight. Um, we, we got together a little bit before we started filming just to catch up, but, but seeing him uh, again as this character uh, was mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. For both of us, it was really, it was amazing the atmosphere on set was really electric that day. I came on set and I'd been shooting for a little while before, before Hayden started and I couldn't believe how many people were there. I was looking around going, so many people on set today. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then uh, the penny clicked when you walked out in the suit. I was like, oh, yeah, everyone's here to see Hayden. And as Vader, you know, it's pretty amazing on set. Yeah, it's like, well, you're like, well, what about me? It's all it's all about him. <laughs> yeah, they were so used to me by that point. And they were totally over me. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Um, and Rupert and Moses, was there anything, what surprised you the most about joining the Star Wars universe? Um, I, working with the volume was a very extraordinary experience. And Deb very sweetly invited me to come and check out something else that was being shot. Because if you haven't seen it before, there's nothing like it. And it can be a bit like being on a sort of mad roller coaster, you know, as the, as the world adapts to the cameras. But and it's just extraordinary the level of detail you can see people in the deep, deep background miles away 
who normally would be extras or whatever, and they've all been designed with inner lives and stories, and it's all going on all around you all the time. I think for me, I've never worked on a project similar to what you were saying, but to a different point, with so many people, like it literally takes hundreds of people to make this happen, like on a day to day. And then in post-production and pre-production, like it's a rallying of people who this wouldn't be possible without. That makes a difference. Absolutely. And you and I know you talked on stage about, you know, one of the joys over the last couple of years has been seeing the fondness and, and the adoration for these prequels. What's it been like for you to, you know, sort of see to be here at Star Wars Celebration and, and see that that fondness and, and, and love for, for these stories? Yeah, it's important for me. I, I feel like I'm I'm able to sort of claim it in a way, which I don't know that I've ever done properly. I've, I've, I feel like the there was a sort of challenge to making the films with the technology that we that George was Utilizing at the time, there was a lot of blue screen and green screen to allow him to build the world that he built. But for us, the actors, it would it was hard to make emotional moments realistic when you're surrounded by nothing and oftentimes speaking to nothing. You know, your your scene partner is a tennis ball on a stick. It's just hard work. And for that, we all. I mean, I was just saying to Hayden, we like we all. No one sort of phoned it in. We all came with our A games. We all tried our best. And then for it to be sort of um, for the critics not to like them or I don't know, the noise that came at us afterwards wasn't positive. So I, I, I feel like I maybe put my blinkers on a little bit to the Star Wars world to, to an extent and just went on with my career. And I've been lucky to do the work I've done. And, and um, but I did play Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels and I, I liked w- what we did and I liked the experience of doing it, you know. And so I, I'm really glad to stand on that stage this morning and feel that. It was important for me to feel that and to go, oh, no, I, I, I should be able to enjoy it, you know. Yeah, Hayden, what about you? What's that been experience like to see this love and this joy for, for, for these stories and these films? It's just so heartwarming. I've always sort of felt that the fans got it. You know, that was sort of never in question for me. But certainly, you know, the critics wanted to find all the flaws that they could. Uh, and if you're if you're looking for flaws in anything, I mean, you'll, you'll find something. But, you know, the, these these stories are for the fans uh, and they're meant to bring joy and happiness to people. And so it's it's just it means a lot to to get to sort of witness that now and to the degree that we do. It's it's amazing. Absolutely. Deborah, how much were you going back to the prequels and sort of using that for inspiration? I mean, how much were you were you thinking about those as you were crafting this story? Um, we're the, definitely the most closely tied to the prequels, particularly Revenge of the Sith. So all through development, all through the script process, we were always going back and, you know, really studying it. In large part, we're looking at the character arcs and, you know, everything that's happened. So the prequels were our main point of reference. Absolutely. So for any of you guys, what was the day on set where you geeked out the most? What was like the, the one that like sticks out in your mind where you were just the most excited to be there? Uh, I think being in most Eisley, like being in the bar and seeing the place where we've all can hear the music start to play and the you know, you see that scene. So standing in it under that baking sun that, that for those days, that was that was it for me. I can't pick I, I had too many good days on there. I c I can't I can't pick one. That's fair. I yeah. mean you're making a Star Wars show. I mean I imagine, I imagine yeah. every day is gonna be pretty memorable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I know you guys talked a little while ago to my colleague Dalton Ross, and he told me a story that Moses was telling him a story about how, um, you know, you and you dropped your lightsaber a couple times. And Hayden, you, you, that made you laugh quite a bit to hear that story because he's so serious about, you know, taking care of his lightsaber. 
What, what was your reaction to, to hearing that? Yeah, I definitely got a bit of a chuckle out of that. I mean, you know, the lightsaber is just such a, a, a cherished weapon. And, you know, Obi-Wan would always give Anakin such a hard time whenever he misplaced <laughs> it or, or dropped it. And, and that kind of, you know, narrative continued offset, too, if we were training and, you know, someone lost a lightsaber, you know, you'd hear it. Um, so it was, it was, uh, I, I rejoiced a little bit when I, when I heard that it made me laugh. He's a bit rusty on the lightsaber, Obi-Wan. It was real deep character work. <laughs> you know, they just don't massive. see it. It was intentional. He's, you know, he's uh, been away from the Jedi order for so long, you know. No, I been- think I dropped it and I, I said to Moses, don't tell him. And the thing is, I'm upset because when I spoke to Dalton, he said that he was saying that it didn't come from uh, <laughs> here, we here we are. Here we are. <laughs> that, that'll teach you to open up to a journalist about anything. No one's safe. No one's safe. <laughs> it's been spelled, absolutely. So, Deborah, what do you think has been your biggest challenge on, on this show overall? Um, I think definitely the legacy characters and just, you know, we're obviously in between two trilogies. Uh, where everybody knows what happened before and after. So that's that's been the biggest challenge, is just trying to find the balance of also telling a new story, but respecting that legacy. Absolutely. What about you, Ewan? What was the what was the, the, the biggest challenge in telling the story? I didn't I didn't I, I, I thought it was just great. I didn't have any difficulties. Uh, it was just brilliant working with Deborah. It was so good working with the new technology. The casting was great. The crew were great. We had real, like a real passion in the crew for Star Wars, but also for this story. And you felt it from them every day, all day. It was just, it was just great fun. There was no, there's nothing that I could answer that question with, I don't think. That's always good. What about you, Hayden? What was the biggest difference about, you know, making the, the first time around making those films versus telling this story? Um, I mean, you know, obviously it's a, a, a different group of people. Uh, uh, we have, a, you know, a, a different storyteller. Um, and I, I don't know. I think for me, the whole experience was, was relatively challenge free. And that's to Deborah's credit. You know, she, she just understands this world so well and, um, and these characters and uh, just kind of made it really easy for all of us. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, interviewing those folks was not the only cool thing Devin did at Celebration. She will give us her full report from the Star Wars convention right after this super quick break. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a pretty jealous person by nature, just to begin with. Like, if I'm going to be completely honest. And... I've probably never been more jealous than the fact that Devin got to go to Celebration and I was sitting home in New Jersey, uh, a few miles away from Lauren. (laughs) And I was trying everything to make it happen, but I just had some other work stuff and and so couldn't make it. But you just heard the incredible interview Devin did with the the whole cast and with Deborah Chower. Moses Ingram called me out a little bit. And um, that wasn't the only thing she did there, though. She was interviewing all sorts of cast. She was going to all sorts of panels. She was just checking out all the cosplaying going on and all the booths and everything. So obviously a lot of news came out of Star Wars Celebration, Devin. So we thought you could just sort of 
hit us up with the with what you either see as the biggest things that came out of there or the coolest things you did or just what are the big bullet points we need to know about your time in Anaheim? Yeah, it was a blast. I haven't been back to any sort of large right, Don't con say it was a blast. Or- I just said I'm jealous. I just <laughs> it told you. It was terrible. You. Dalton, you're so lucky awful. you missed it. You know, Lauren, you would have hated it. It was awful. No, I, I just, I had a blast. I mean, it is... Star Wars fans are some of the weirdest and best people in the whole world. I saw some of the greatest cosplays, just the the pure joy of everybody. One, you know, just the joy to be together and celebrating Star Wars. But also, I think that, you know, um, we haven't had a Star Wars celebration in several years and um, due to the pandemic. And there was just everybody was so excited to be there and particularly hyped about this new chapter of everything that's going on in Star Wars. And the interesting thing was, you know, pretty much with the exclusion of a of here and there, I mean, almost everything was focused on TV and Disney Plus. This is something sort of new for Star Wars Celebration has sort of historically all been about Skywalker saga and movies. But this was, I mean, the stars of the show were, you know, Obi-Wan and Andor and The Mandalorian and all of these exciting things. So I'm going to take you through my top five highlights between, you know, sort of panels and interviews. Number one is obviously surprisingly, Obi-Wan Kenobi. This was the actual premiere of both episodes. Uh, we got to see um, them a little bit early. They had an actual like red carpet premiere at Celebration. Okay, where you're they killing, brought me. Out, you you're know, killing me right now, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> they brought out Ewan and Hayden and the whole cast. But but then, you know, like O'Shea Jackson was there and they they brought out Vivian Lyra Blair, who got a huge standing ovation after we got to see the episodes. Um, everybody immediately fell in love with her. Um, actually, they kicked off uh, on Thursday, the big Lucasfilm panel, where they sort of ran down all the things that Lucasfilm has in the works. They kicked it off with a big full choir performing Duel of the Fates. Um, And then afterwards, uh, Hayden and Ewan came out and the first words spoken were Ewan looked at the audience and goes, hello there. (laughs) And and the place just went nuts. Everybody was screaming and running around. I mean, it was amazing because this was the audience for that. And, And this is something that, you know, Hayden and Ewan talked about. And they talked about this in our interview is what it means to them to be returning and have this love from the fandom after the prequels. Um, And so I think when I spoke to them, they came through our video suite after getting off stage at Cut Celebration. And I think they were both like a little giddy. They were were overwhelmed and so happy to see so many people talk about what these movies mean to them and and how much people specifically connected with their stories. So I think that was definitely a highlight for me. It's kind of this lovely full circle moment for them. And then there was a ton of news about other upcoming projects, too. Um, they ran down some of the the upcoming shows that we've got. One of them is Andor, which was which I'm very excited for. Um, we've got Diego Luna back as Cassie and Andor and Genevieve O'Reilly, who's back as, as Mon Mothma. Um, so we got to see the first trailer from that. What do you think of that, Devin? Because Laura and I talked about that last week and, and we liked it, but we were kind of like, there's not a lot of Andor in the Andor trailer. He's like barely in that thing. Yeah, it was interesting. The The creator is Tony Gilroy, who who did all the Bourne movies, and he worked on Rogue One. And he talked on stage about how, you know, the, this is a two-season thing. The first season is set about five years before Rogue One. He and Diego both said this many times that, you know, this is not the Cassian that you know in, in Rogue One. He is not the gung-ho rebel willing to, to lay his life on the line. He is very much, he doesn't want to be a part of this. He's, he's not interested in the rebellion. He's sort of a, a scoundrel running away from things. And they sort of said, you know, his and, and Mon Mothma's paths, they don't really cross, but they sort of run parallel. Um, and you can you sort of see her like, you know, in the Senate and, and, you know, doing more political things while he's sort of more on the ground. And then it'll be season two where, you know, things start to coalesce. That's when your boy K2SO is supposed to show up. Let's he's go. not going to be in Let's season go. one. <laughs> 
but he's he's coming back in season two. They said that's going to start filming in November, and so I, I I'm I'm kind of glad that they're saying okay, you know, this isn't a one season deal. We've already got plans for season two. This is the path because we know how it ends. Um, you know, Diego Luna made a great joke. He's like, it's the best job security I've ever had because I know they can't kill me off. Um, <laughs> That's what are- the Grand Inquisitor thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to kill kill Cassian twice. Um, mm-hmm. But that was one that I was I was really excited for. And they, they released that trailer wide. Um, but then we also got to le- see a lot of footage at Celebration that they did not release to the general public. Um, one of those is The Mandalorian. Dave Filoni and John Favreau were there. We got to see a little bit on Thursday, but we got to see even more on Saturday, which was the full Mandalorian panel where they brought out, you know, Pedro Pascal and and Katie Sackhoff and Giancarlo Esposito and then Carl Weathers and then, you know, basically the whole cast. Um, and they talked about season three. We got to see a little bit of footage where we see, you know, the armor played by Emily Swallow sort of chastising Din and basically being like, you are no longer Mandalorian. You have willingly removed your helmet. And we see Din sort of saying, I'm seeking redemption. I'm going to go to Mandalore to seek forgiveness and to try to, you know, reconnect with that. And we saw the the ruins of of what appeared to be Mandalore, as well as, you know, the, definitely Bo-Katan seems to be playing a, a very large role in season three. You know, there's definitely some some friction between her and Din after the whole Darksaber business. Other highlights, Babu Frick. We saw a bunch of little Babu Fricks. I'm not sure if it's the same Babu Frick, but it sure looked like. <laughs> Nick Romano will be so pleased. Hey, hey, hey. So, um, and then we saw a tree of what looks like Kowakian monkey lizards, basically a bunch, a tree full of salacious bee crumbs. And I was like, I don't know what's what's going on there, but I'm totally here for it. That's a lot Big of laughing. Salacious That's a lot of laughing we're going to have to listen to. Instead of a tree full of monkeys, it's a, it's a tree full of Kowakian monkey lizards. You know, who crashed the Mandalorian panel was Rosario Dawson for Ahsoka. Earlier in Celebration, she taped a pre-recorded message saying, you know, I'm filming Ahsoka. We've been filming for three weeks. I'm so sorry I can't make it. Um, but she wound up showing up on Saturday and she came out wearing some 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 very Ahsoka-looking earrings, which were kind of stripy and, and cool. And she basically talked about how it's going. It's super early days. They've only been filming for about three weeks. But she brought out basically the live action version of Chopper, who was who was going to be in Ahsoka. And we got to see him roll across the stage. Um, and then she brought out uh, Natasha Lou Bordizzo, who's going to be playing Sabine Wren, another Rebels character, uh, making her debut in live action. Lauren, what was that? What excited you most about, you know, bringing Sabine into into live action? You know, it was interesting because I was away from my phone for a while. I can't remember if my kid had it or something. And when I came back, it was like, I think an hour after the panel. And I saw Dalton had texted me about Sabine. And I was like, hold on, what? And I had to go and take a look. I know that that was a rumor. So I'm really excited about that. And I know you also mentioned that they showed uh, at least it looks like the back of Harrison Duolo, which I'm very excited about. And I'm curious if that's what the role that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is uh, rumored to be playing uh, and that this might be the search for Ezra Bridger. Uh, so it seems like this is a real continuation of where they left off in Star Wars Rebels. So I'm honestly, I love Star Wars Rebels, so I am very happy to see the entire crew, including my beloved Chopper, in live action. Like, it's really exciting to see. I wish we got to see the footage that they showed you, so I'm still very jealous. Oh, I saw it. I, fa- I found that pirated footage online. <laughs> like, <laughs> if there's a will, there's a way. 
I haven't looked for the illegal footage I yet. So Hundo P looked for that illegal footage. I I, sh- I should go to Tumblr. They probably have it all over the place. It's probably already gifted somewhere. I mean, um, they've only been filming for like like a few days or something. I mean, it's like crazy yeah. that they even had anything to show. And it's it's not even a scene. It's just literally like shots that they showed. But it was it looked pretty pretty awesome. It looked really cool. And and like you said, you know, it feels like this is a very much a continuation of Rebels. Yeah. You know, we, we see Sabine looking at the mural with Ezra. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard um, Ahsoka talk about Thrawn before. I, I think this is definitely, this seems like a definite continuation. Um, I mean, where Thrawn and where Ezra is, like, they're the two biggest sort of unsolved mysteries in that in that timeline about where both of them wound up sort of and, eating off too. And, so. and Star Wars does not like to keep mysteries as mysteries. They like to answer nope. every mystery nope. or every question that you've ever had. I mean, and so like it is going back to watch Rebels, if you've never watched it, really does make sense because you know, obviously Dave Filoni coming from the animated world and now he is such a he is the influential figure in the live action Disney Plus world now. So all these people are coming over and then you even look at something like Andor, which doesn't seem to have a Rebels connection, but it's literally taking place at the exact same time that Rebels takes place. And for instance, you know, we learn on that, like that's where Mon Mothma quits the Senate uh, right around that time on Rebels uh, in the Rebels episode. So is that going to carry over to Andor? It should be pretty interesting to see. And even going back to this last episode of of Obi-Wan where we were seeing Tala and talking about like sort of the burgeoning rebellion and how they're already, I mean, it's 10 years in and there's already these safe houses and there's already these people trying to connect all of these like mini rebellions together. And that was like an interesting thing about Star Wars Rebels is because they were kind of working on their own for a long time until they kind of connected up into the, the big rebellion. So seeing these kind of like these like little embers of the rebellion, I find pretty fascinating. Yeah, that was something that was really interesting. Um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau both came through EW's um, interview studio, and we're going to have the full interviews with them um, going up later. But um, that was something they talked about, where you know they're sort of building this. We we saw it with Book of Boba Fett, where it sort of turned into you know Mandalorian season two point five, and now we're going to have Ahsoka and um, this new show uh, created co created by Spider Man director John Watts called Skeleton Crew, which is about a, a group of you know young like ten year old kids who are sort of lost in the galaxy. Uh, they announced that Jude Law is going to be in it. They confirmed that that is set during the same time period as The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka and all these shows that are happening. So it really, it seems like tonally all the shows are sort of different, but it definitely, there's going to be a lot of crossover. I think I the, the thing that it reminds me the most of is, is sort of like comic book issues where you sort of, you've got your, gen, your general runs and then they sort of like come together for a crossover and then they sort of split off and you kind of have weird team ups here and there. Um, so I'm really curious to see sort of what the next couple of years look like because it's, it's you know, instead of building, you know, this this like main Skywalker film saga with a couple spinoffs here and there, they're really building this this huge basically sort of giving the Marvel Cinematic Universe a run for their money, you know, um, with specifically with Star Wars television series. Hmm. Anything else from the the uh, the convention of note? Uh, the final one for me, and the, the probably the personal highlight for me was Thursday during the Lucasfilm panel. They brought out John Williams celebrating his ninetieth birthday, and he conducted a full live orchestra. I am a total nerd. I um, I'm a longtime violinist. I, I learned to play, you know, a lot of John Williams music myself over my life, and so like that was the one moment where I like got really choked up, and I was like, oh my god, it's John Williams. 
apparently, and, and I know you, you've talked about this, Dalton, in your reporting, but he had a conversation with Kathleen Kennedy, you know, a little while ago where he said, you know, the only main Star Wars character that I haven't like written a theme for is is Obi-Wan. And so he he wrote the theme for for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you know, there's been a lot of really great work in the Star Wars music space recently. You know, Ludwig Göransson has been so great on The Mandalorian. Um, Nicholas Bratel from Succession is doing the music for Andor. Um, but there's something about a John Williams score, man. And and um, at the end of it, he said, you know, I'm going to play one that's not Star Wars. And then he played the Indiana Jones theme, which is just, uh, you know, I mean, the man, I, I would have been happy if it was just John Williams weekend, just banger after banger, um, you know, <laughs> Harry Potter and Jurassic Park and everything. And then Harrison Ford came out and he told us a little bit about not Han Solo, uh, but Indiana Jones, the the upcoming movie that's coming out. So that was something that was really for me, like the music of Star Wars has always been such a huge part of why I've connected with it. I think that's part of why the original trilogy works so well. And so to to get to hear that with a full audience and with a live orchestra, and then he played the Imperial March to, you know, to to end things. So there was just something there was just something really magical about it, you know, because he's he's 90. It was cool. It was so cool to see him up there and, and conducting. I mean, what a legend. It's super cool. I mean, I, I went to one of those things where they, you know, they have a full orchestra on stage and play the movie. So, you know, you go and you yeah. watch Empire Strikes Back in the full orchestra. And it was so awesome. Um, but to be in a in a in a crowd surrounded by Star Wars fans with John Williams conducting Star Wars music is just about as cool as it gets. That's absolutely amazing. I, I you know, I still don't know if that should have made your list of top five over your spotting of someone dressed up like Frog Lady. But I did. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, can't talk. It was an impressive costume, though. I, I can talk you know. a little bit about the cosplays because, oh my God, they were impressive. Because, you know, like, I love going to Comic-Con because, like, I usually... I'm very, I'm very geeky. I recognize, you know, most of the things at Comic-Con, but there's always somebody where I'm like, I have no idea who you are. I knew everybody at Celebration. <laughs> Try to put a cosplay gallery together when you, like, you don't have the right captions for people. Right. I'm always like, whenever during Comic-Con, we're passing this back and forth. I'm like, who's that? I'm not sure. Who's that? You know, we're trying to identify people. I saw a great Bosk, um, oh. like literally looked exactly like Bosk. I texted that to our colleague, Darren Franich, who is the world's number one Bosk yep. fan. I saw... <laughs> I saw a lady in a wampa costume taking a cigarette break, which was just hilarious <laughs> to me. That was incredible. And then the other th cool thing that they had um, was they they set up this exhibit of uh, Mandalorian actual sets and costumes and props. They basically brought all of the the live action props and things that they use from where they go shoot down in Manhattan Beach. Um, and they brought them up to Anaheim so you could walk through and we saw, you know, the animatronic baby Grogu waving, waving to everybody, a big giant bantha, which was like as big as this room. I mean, and, and you know, what was making bantha mooing noises jawas and and costumes and lightsabers and you know the full new naboo starship that mando and, and grogu are, are flying around in and so that was something that was really really cool to get to see all of the tactical um you know elements because they always talk about the volume and and you know the the technology in dalton i know they've talked about this in, in a lot of your interviews you know what a, what a blessing that is but there's something about those those practical totally. costumes and sets and you know they had Jabba's throne room from um you know book of boba fett and and it's it's just it's it's there's something really cool about getting to stand next to that kind of stuff it just feels i i will always love that that sort of any sort of like creature or you know animatronic or or weird costumes that's that's always always my jam 100% my my favorite thing ever was at a comic con once in San Diego where they had basically a giant um, sort of old like Kenner like box for for action figures, and then you could go behind the plastic 
So you could be you could be in the like basically be a Kenner Star Wars action figure. Uh, It's pretty awesome. If you guys were going to go to Star Wars Celebration and cosplay, what would you guys want to be? Lobot. My husband has already built. My husband is insane for Halloween. Like literally, he's already discussing our 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 costumes for this year. But he's already when my daughter was one, he made her BB-8, which (gasps) was pretty cute. And then uh, the second he made her an Ewok costume, which she hated. She only wore it for like 30 minutes. She understood she had to wear it to get candy. And then she's just like, I'm out of this thing. And then, but like we've gone as Ray. He made me an Endor Leia costume, which he had to like figure out like what she was wearing under her, under her like camo cape. So we've, I have a whole collection of Star Wars costumes that I could use. You're set. I'm coming to your house for Halloween next year. I'm pretty much, yeah, I'm pretty much uh, set for that. But yeah, we we have like, and I've been Ray a couple of times, though that was not a, you know, it was a very sort of slap together because we were more concentrating on the baby being BB-8. And yet you got mad at me for putting Ray so high on the list of the top, top <laughs> this characters. Was, this was prior to Rise of Skywalker when I, you know, really was all in on Ray. Important then, clarification. You know, I know. Important clarification. Or Morgan dropping yeah, the hammer again. Yeah, yeah. So I was Ray and then my daughter was BB-8. And then a couple years ago, she decided to be Ray. And then my husband tried on the BB-8 costume, but it was a little too tight for him. But we do have a photo of of the reverse. And then Rise of Skywalker came out and Lauren refused to let her daughter be Rey for Halloween anymore. She was Rey. She's never actually seen Rise of Skywalker because it doesn't exist in our household. You are terrible. You are terrible. I am. No, I I think that's good parenting. I I think that's, yeah, I think that was the right choice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So she has no idea it exists. We we probably got to get out of here now, but that, I'm so, I'm not even more jealous. This this segment was a terrible idea. I was jealous before it started. Now I'm even more jealous. Well, next year it's in London. We could really like. I think we should go and, and invade the podcast. Go be international. That's right. So, um, but look, we as Devin mentioned, she did tons of interviews there, and you heard one of them today. But you're going to hear a lot more of them coming up uh, in the in the future this summer. So. We'll be uh, excited to get into that. Uh, Coming up next week, we will have more uh, interviews with more cast members from Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we'll obviously uh, recap and react to episode four as well. That's going to do it for this episode of Dagobah Dispatch. Thanks so much to Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Moses Ingram, Rupert Friend, and Deborah Chow for being part of the show this week. If you like what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>